Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Pepper Podcast. Both of our guests today run very successful School Fives programs, and we are keen to get their insights on player recruitment, maintaining interest through engaging coaching methods, and linking school players to the adult game. So today we're joined by two coaches. Faye Kerr, who is the coach at Hollyport, uh, has been involved in the sport for, for how many years, Faye? Uh, nearly five, I'd say. We're also joined by Howard, who is an old hand at the sport, uh, has been around for a long, long time. Uh, the, currently the coach at Olavs is you know, one of the key members and founders of the Rugby and Eton Fives Coaching Association, uh, has designed many a gloves, come up with the Wiseman rules for the mixed. So has a huge legacy in the sport. And how many years have you been playing? 41 on uh, my oh. Wow. So we have two extremes, a newer, newer coach and a, a more experienced coach. Uh, and we're looking forward to drilling into some of their insights about the process they've been through. So to start off with, how did you get into the sport? Yeah, so I started at Hollyport College as an NQT, so a newly qualified teacher. And I moved down from the north to... Berkshire and I had to start teaching fives as it was on the curriculum so we are partnered with Eton College and Eton fives was on the curriculum as one of our lessons that we'd take the students to Eton and we'd have to coach them there so I quickly had to learn the game and we got support from Mike Hughes who was the uh, master in charge at Eton at the time and I just got into it from teaching the children and then taking the children to fixtures and getting obviously talking to the community and then I suppose it probably took off when I started playing myself that I then got a greater interest in it and then I took it on as one of the main sports that I looked after at the college and started teaching the other members of the department because we all have to teach here at Hollyport so all the boys and girls in year seven eight and nine play it and then we take a select few to fixtures and progress them differently but yeah so I've absolutely loved it it's been a really massive whirlwind journey over the progression of my young PE career I suppose. So I think you're one of the few people uh, correct me if I'm wrong that I uh, coached before playing I mean how many students were you coaching before you uh, per year group almost before you started playing yourself? I think we've got classes of anything from 16 to 30 so we take from one to two minibuses down to Eton that's how I kind of judge it and we have support from the Eton coaches so it was Mike then it was George and now it's Ryan mm -hmm. because I knew such so little about Eton fives you coach it like a normal sport so you teach the drills and skills and then you get them playing so probably a different way of applying coaching because I didn't know the game I couldn't just play it so I was like right we're going to learn how to hit the ball and we're going to learn how to do this so trying to come up with creative ways to entertain 30 children in a strange environment from a teaching point of view more than a coaching point of view that's that was what I first remembered in my first year because I didn't really know much about it there's definitely some points we'll pick up on there how about you, Howard? How did you get into the sport 41 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> so 
one of the things that uh, struck me most when I went as a 10-year-old to the open day at Snowlabs was what I later learned was called fives. Um, you know, open days are like, you wander around the school. And uh, the thing that uh, I was most drawn to and mesmerised by was the fives. I'd never seen it before. Uh, the activity down in those small courts and of course you're looking down at Olam's from a balcony so you couldn't even get to it it was like you were separated but I remembered the, the smell of the building which I think was probably just the leather gloves uh, the noise uh, and I think in a way the fact I didn't understand what was going on didn't really matter it was just the amount of activity so when I then got into the school um, I remember running down to the courts on that first lunchtime just to see whether anything was happening. And of course you open the door and there were the sixth formers waiting for a stampede of, um, you know, intrigued new 11 uh, year olds. And there they were, uh, massive sixth formers giving up their time to look after you. And, you know, you were sort of hooked on it before you even got on the court with that sort of interest. It was amazing. So that's how I got into it. And, uh, you know, we just played every lunchtime and uh, after school and whenever we could really. Oh, that's so nice. That's such a sweet story. I don't think I've ever known how you got into the sport. So it's really nice to, to hear. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing is, uh, I said I, I, I like to think it's still like that. Although St. Olaf's have hired me to import a professional service, I have nothing to do with the recruitment. Um, that is all down to the sixth form. And if they do a bad job, I have no one to teach, um, or rather Dominique has no one to teach because she teaches all the year sevens, not me. But um, that's part of the responsibility of the sixth form to uh, expose it, recruit it, uh, run the first session in lunchtimes for each of the different forms in year seven. And then they're, they're handed on to Dominique and Dom has an army of uh, volunteer coaches so that all the courts are covered and there's you know people who know roughly what's going on on each court um so it's it's been essential to me that 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 sense of the ownership of the pupils of the team and their um you know fellow pupils below them uh, i would hate for that ever to be lost it's been the main driving force i think behind the uh, the fives there so what led you into coaching what bit of it did and what do you like about coaching that's kept you you know doing that sure. well first of all how I got into it is quite simple you when you're at Snowlabs you're basically or at least when I was at school you were only taught by older pupils uh, because there was no master in charge who knew how to play or who showed any interest um, it was totally pupil-led so I was I was taught by I would say four people, which were the, the one pair that was in the year above me and the two uh, lower sixth formers who were captain and vice captain. And within, I suppose, a year, um, when I was in year eight, I naturally found myself drawn to helping the new year seven. And I think by the time I was year, year 10 or fourth form in the old English, not just myself, my peers, because I was in a fairly strong year group. Uh, there were about six of us who'd be down there every lunchtime teaching the younger younger pupils. So by the time we were up a sixth, we'd actually produced the best team coming up through St. Olav's that the school had ever had. 
far better than us um, because we weren't taught. We were working it out ourselves. But we actually, a number of us came from a bit of a tennis, a younger tennis coaching background. And um, we sort of applied the footwork and the backswing and the follow through and all that sort of stuff. And we produced players that actually, for the first time ever for OLABS, uh, reached the under 16 final, uh, even though they were seeded eighth or something. And um, when I left music college, uh, I was brought back to the school to carry on with that job. And uh, actually, the, the, the lads that we'd kicked off so young and so well by then were the, in the upper sixth. So I came back to teach them. Uh, and again, they, they, they got to the school's finals. So it was sort of I grew into it from what I had done most lunchtimes at school for many years. Um, came back once a week, I think, when I was at Music College in London. And then I was basically offered a job to do exactly the same thing uh, as a contract to run the whole Fives programme. And within a year, I was being asked by other schools if I could could go and help. So that that's how it happened. And I yeah, I, I just love teaching, I suppose. So that's that. Is it the same for you, Faye? Do you just love teaching it? Or is there something specific that you love about both learning the sport and coaching at the same time? Um, I think teaching or coaching fives is very different to other school sports that we offer at Hollyport. So you can coach netball and hockey and volleyball and they're quite generic with what you can do. Whereas I find that coaching fives is a little bit different because the individuals take it on or learn the skills at completely different levels and completely different timescales. So it is a huge challenge. But the nice thing about coaching fives is that you get such a reward when it finally clicks for the students and they go, oh, I know, I know how to serve. Or they go, oh, even if they just learn the rotation, it's such a reward to think that you've actually, you know, facilitated that learning. And you get certain students that aren't very good at those team sports and they constantly struggle in the hockey season or the netball season. And then you take them to their fives and they they do really well so that's what I like about coaching it is that you engage different students and the even the dominant students that are good at everything might be good at fives but they're not quite good at the technical element or the finesse of it so that's what I quite like about coaching fives that it's just a little bit different and it brings out a lot in the students um, both of you obviously come from very different coaching backgrounds and got into it through different ways. I'd be interested to hear, uh, I guess, how do you go about it, you know, from beginners to, to your best players? Yeah, I think time on court is always what, what we want and we, they do learn the most from, you know, playing the game. But if I just let my year sevens or year eights play the game, we've got such a diverse range of abilities they they literally could serve for half an hour and that would be it because every single serve would would hit top step and it, there'd be no game so that time on court thing goes out the window so it comes down to having help I suppose if you've got an extra member of staff which uh, we I do when I go with Ryan and I suppose it's breaking it down so they love anything that they could be successful at and I do everything in play in fives. I do everything as a PlayStation game in levels. So level one is 
a drop from the nose or level two is a throw and then level three is is then actually hitting the ball and it's just building success and definitely building confidence and then at the end I used to go right let's do a game and let's see if we can play and obviously the game would be an absolute disaster because you've got (laughs) the elements going into it because they might be able to serve but then they can't cut and then they can't return and so I quickly learned that the success at the end of the lesson had to be relevant to what you were teaching. So if they, right, if they could serve and it dropped on bottom step, then that's success. And if they could cut and it went um, be on the right side of Blackguard, that was a success. So coaching style would have to be building it up slowly and creating lots of success and lots of confidence. And then the actual game would come in my fives club. And I'd be like, right, if you actually, if you really, really want to, if you think you're really good at this, then come to my fives club after school or, you know, we'll get to that later down the term. But in, in my 40, 45 minute lesson at Eton, the success at the end of this lesson will look like this. And I suppose being a state school, it's still a P lesson. You've still got to have success and hit Ofsted criteria. I, I teach it rather than coach it in a way. In, in one sense, I'm exactly the same as Faye. There is no point trying to play a game um, before, well, it's like trying to run before you can walk. So my approach is almost identical to Faye's um, and it does depend on, I mean, we're talking here largely about the beginners, aren't we? Um, how to get it started. And, and in my opinion, Faye's absolutely right. They just want to know what they're trying to achieve and have the uh, the delight of achieving it. Uh, you know, whether it's serving and trying to... What, one thing I do do, and Faye, you probably do this as well, I, I've, I've found people love physical targets. So if, for example, you tell them to serve and you show them what's expected, it's 10 times more exciting if you've got a pair of gloves on the floor to land the glove onto. All of a sudden, it takes a whole different meaning because they're actually quite competitive then about seeing who can land the serve on the gloves first. And one of the things that uh, I've found is uh, I'm often, not just at Snow Loves, I mean, almost every school I've taught at, I've got a limited amount of time, too few courts and too many children, hopefully. And by tackling any sort of drill, no matter how simple it might be, like throwing the ball up, if you um, put them into teams, if as a team they're trying to get the ball landed, let's say on the pair of gloves, more times than the other you know, uh, courts worth of players, then there's a sort of electricity to it because they're all doing the same thing in teams, but they're all trying to beat the other teams. And you know, a 45 minute lesson, as, as Faye's typically pointed out, you know, it, it, it'll shoot past, it will shoot past. Whatever you plan, you'll probably get half of what you plan done. But that doesn't matter if the children are loving every minute of it. And as say, as Faye said, you're basically building up the components in a fun way. And as soon as you can, you want them to get uh, into some sort of game. But you would just simplify the rules. Um, and it may be a term or two before they get to play the full rules on a full court. But it's not difficult to get them playing, for example, the full rules just on the top court. So my approach for beginners is, is, is almost identical, I think, to phase. You just want them to enjoy their time on that environment whilst building up those skills. 
when it gets uh, beyond that stage, that's a slightly different um, thing. But again, even there, I'm being hired usually to go in and perhaps only spend an hour and 10 minutes per week with a, a different year group. So my duty to the children is to keep improving their ability to self-diagnose when they go off and then play games in their own time. And uh, the other thing which Faye uh, hinted on or touched on is because you will get such a mixed ability in a class, especially a games lesson, um, there's a slightly ironic situation here. I've had many classes at many schools where a game isn't just impossible, it will always be impossible. But what I found ironically is if you do drills and you've got the better and the weakest players all in it together as a team trying to do the same drills, they love it. They're not being judged, they're acting as a team. But you'll improve their all-round coordination skills and their confidence, which is you know, what any teacher's trying to, to do and just let them have a good time. Yeah, that's so interesting. It seems so foreign to me because when I started the game, I only found fives because hockey got cancelled and they yeah. said, you have to go and do something else. And I just saw some of my friends playing and I've never sort of been taught the basics or had this kind of coaching approach, but I just got thrown in at the deep end. But yeah. I was essentially recruited because my other sport got cancelled at the time. So how do you go about getting players to try this, at least on the face of it, quite complicated sport? Yes. So <laughs> there's roughly 100 schools that play fives rugby fives or Eton fives. And I've worked in about half of those schools. And the thing that's clear to me is every school is so completely different. You could probably put them into three or four different brackets, but they are all completely different. But it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, if you turn up and there's no one to teach, uh, you're not going to have much of a result. And I believe me, <laughs> over all these years I've been doing this I've I've taken I've been drawn to and I suppose invited to some of the most horrible gigs you might say uh, in England I mean I used to turn up every week at Wellington College they were keen to get me to come in they were keen for me to work hard how many people did they get to the courts zero um, so I was literally um, doing everything I could to pull passers by onto the court to just have a go. Um, proud to say that Hugo Tobias was one of those people that, you know, I dragged onto court. Um, uh, Jonathan Staley, uh, they had no intention of playing fives. They'd walked past the courts a thousand times. So it runs from one extreme to the other. You've got that on one hand, then you've got other schools where it's part of the system. But there are many schools where you, you actually have to be quite entrepreneurial about how you get people to the courts. I won't go into all the different uh, experiences that I'm aware of, but I've mentioned at Snow Labs that uh, pupil power is, uh, is, is key. Other schools, there is no system in place um, and you have to work hard, especially as an outsiding, outsider coaching presence to uh, empower the pupils to just go and do something. Before I close on, on that little chapter, I'll just tell you one of the best stories, uh, which I absolutely love. Harrow School, um, fantastic powerhouse of fives, of course. Uh, they struggled at, at different times to attract numbers with their um, new pupils because there's so many sports on offer. Um, but they had um, 
James Paul there for a while. And uh, I noticed after Jim having just been there for a term, the courts suddenly were full. I mean, all 16, 15 courts were full. And I said to um, James, what on earth have you done? Because, you know, there'd been 20, 25, 30 years before where, you know, there was a small team, very good team, but, but small team. And he said, oh, it was quite simple. I put up posters all around the school. And I said, well, what did you put on the posters? And he said, well, I had two posters, actually. He said, I had, I had the Cheryl Cole poster. So it was a picture of Cheryl with a bubble out of her mouth saying, I only date fives players, come to practice at the fives courts at whatever time, whatever day. And he said, I have my Brad Pitt poster. And uh, he said, I've got a little bubble coming out of Brad's mouth. And it says, I'm only the man I am because I play fives. All of a sudden, <laughs> the courts are full. And you know, what he basically said to these children who knew nothing about fives is, this is going to be fun because he'd <laughs> done the most outrageous thing, putting these posters up around Harrow School. And he was flooded with players. And in my opinion, they've never looked back because once you create a large uh, body of players, it's fairly self-perpetuating, of course. So different everywhere, but without successful recruitment, it doesn't matter how good the coaching is, you don't have a team. I never realised that recruitment could be an issue in fives because obviously coming into it new, I just thought it was a sport that you played down south. Like for, as a northerner, I was like, oh, it'd be fine. Let's all go play fives. And then as the students, obviously in seven, eight and nine, they play and then I'd pick the best ones to go to a fixture. And as a teacher, I'd make sure that, you know, maybe we were going a bit, earlier than normal so they'd get out of a lesson and I'd definitely make sure it was worth their while by always stating that we're probably going to go to a nice school get a nice tea and we'll be back a bit later so you might miss prep I actually didn't have to lean that hard on those things but I always had them in my locker to make sure that the best students were going forward to the fixtures that I wanted them to go to um, and just balancing that as a teacher and then I think the biggest thing for recruitment in students wanting to play a little bit more was my teacher student competition. So I ran a big student teacher competition in the first year and probably had about 30 pairs. And I just made everyone do I made all the teachers do it. <laughs> put it in the put it in the school in the school day. And we all went down and did it in the the students had to then ask a teacher to play with them and it just got a little bit more excitement and obviously the, the students loved that contact time and that was something after that I noticed that the students would then be like when's the next fives fixture and they weren't every week they were like every other week and making sure that you didn't overkill it but what you did do had value and I think I don't have the perfect recruitment because I definitely, once they stop lessons in year nine, year 10, 11 and our sixth form, then have to come along to a fives club. And our sixth form here all tend to be new students that come in. So we we have quite an academic sixth form and we only retain, say, 20 to 30 percent of our main school. So I don't have it completely right throughout all years. They were quite successful in lower years and certain years are better than others. But I think a few things help with just 
being enthusiastic, making sure you're balancing the, their time well and making sure that they're you're taking on their feedback, saying, oh, miss, I don't want to do that. And then we'll do that instead. I mean, I don't know about how they were recruiting at Highgate. I know one story, which is they tried to recruit my brother when he joined at sixth form and they sort of went up to him and said, oh, you're Schoons' little little brother. Do you want to play fives? And his instant reaction was no. <laughs> he just <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to have to like be compared to his older sister anymore. <laughs> uh, and also he was a rugby player. Yeah, the one, one thing uh, I would say, and I've... I've had this sort of confirmed really by ex-pupils and various things I've heard them then talk about. My view always, uh, not all schools are like this, but my view has always been that uh, anybody that turns up to a fives practice is the team. And it doesn't matter how bad that, that may stoop in terms of the level. And what I've done at every school that I've had influence or, or, or had control over is I've made sure that the weakest players have plenty of matches as well. And the beauty of uh, fives as a, as a national community, if you like, is it is not difficult to find good matches for your weakest players, just as it is uh, you know, to find uh, good matches, level matches for your middle level and your top level. And I think that inclusive opportunity with fives is, is fairly rare because, of course, with the larger team sports, even if you have an A team, a B team, a C team and a D team, etc., everyone knows they're outside the top two teams. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're only being herded together because they've got to give them something to do and they want to make sure they don't miss out on uh, you know, late developers. But I, my view is if people are giving up their own time uh, at a lunchtime or an after-school session, then you are, I feel, I'm duty-bound to reward them with matches. For me, it's not primarily about the ability. It's about the maximum number of people possible in just enjoying the game and hopefully finding a sport to enjoy for the rest of their lives. If you can uh, develop a wide base of your pyramid, um, it is inevitable that at the top of it, you're going to get... Uh, some strong material you know certainly at Olavs and and Lansing we've had not just the good players carry on but a lot of the the ones actually who didn't really find a place in any other sport um, not for the lack of trying um, but they they were they got the individual attention that you can give with fives in a way you can't give in rugby or hockey or those sorts of things and um, you know they became competent club players who have just as valid a place in our uh, national scene as anybody else. So I think in being inclusive is something that we can do and that should be done uh, for the benefit of the pupils and, uh, well, everyone. It makes it far more fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you've both been saying how you sometimes have quite a range of players, so those slightly weaker ones and the, the stronger ones. And I'm sure you sometimes put them on uh, court together and I know Howard you are the the king of the coaching match which is even if you're far stronger than the people that you're playing against you still make sure that you create rallies you include them in the game you know you're never going to lose but you know kind of make it close even though it maybe isn't technically but to help build their confidence actually I always lose 
<laughs> Many pupils out there, out there who thought they were going to win with me. But um, no, I mean, I, I have a bit of a, a, a policy that um, whatever match I'm in, if I feel the opponents at whatever level have shown those things that you want to see, which is the ability to keep it in play, the ability to not get overexcited and thump the ball down or out, um, no matter who I'm partnering, uh, I feel they believe that I, they deserve to win. And that way you actually build, and you don't make any obvious mistakes. Uh, you never don't return a cut. You never play a shot in a patronizing way. You play a shot in a way that you want the pupils to copy. All you've done actually is you've placed it in such a way, a line length, width, pace, that uh, doesn't stretch them too much. And actually, if they play a good shot, you know, they can get back on top of you or your, your young partner. But um, yeah, I probably do things quite differently to most people. Um, but that's, that's what I've, I've uh, intuitively you know, done and, and learned to do. It's, it's good for the weaker players because it obviously builds their confidence and you know, gets them playing shots and, and gets them into the rallies. But for your, your stronger players, how do you encourage them to have the same mentality? Because I imagine there are benefits to yeah. learning about length and, and you yeah. know, using those as opportunities to sure. grow their skills as well. It, it's quite easy, actually, Emily. If you're working as a team, remember that you might be able to put your strongest player in as the feeder for the shots. Uh, even if you don't, and they can all, for example, feed for each other, a weaker person throwing a feed shot in for a stronger player is, is actually quite good practice because the weaker player isn't going to give a good feed. So that stronger player is actually benefiting from the slight unpredictability of what's going to come at them. So training together works well. And also, you can single out players that are doing particularly well uh, to demonstrate. They love that. And then you get everyone volunteering. And then you do what I call a penalty shootout. Um, so we have a lot of fun, but we're always asking questions about the shape, where the hand starts, where it finishes. And I, I have found that if they understand a, a, the, a very simple, basic starting point and finishing point, for example, in a technique, then they learn so quickly and they can self-diagnose. You know, and actually, when I left school and was doing a lot of coaching, I was obviously a decent player, but I only became a really good one by teaching a lot and feeding thousands of simple balls in for pupils because, you know, I, I like to think I'm a very accurate player. Um, you know, I don't use power very much. I don't really see you know, the need for it in the way I play. But I am extremely accurate. And that, that has come from um, helping others, actually, and just feeding loads of balls. And that is the benefit to pupils that are doing the same thing as well. So, you know, your stronger players quickly learn uh, you know, to gauge this as well. And I've often taken strong fives players off to play beginner schools because... I, they understand that they will benefit from making a good match for these beginners. How about you, you, Faye, and, you know, your experience from the mixed and you've brought some of your players to various tournaments where they've had a whole range of games, both in terms of male, female, different, uh, you know, levels of skill. How have you helped to get them engaged and, you know, enjoying those, those kind of games? 
I've only done it for five years, but from my from coming in from where I was, is that I had the best players were both boys and girls, and playing against predominantly male schools, I my girls quickly got used to playing against male pairs and and winning. We didn't always always lose, and I suppose that developed confidence on both sides. And obviously the but male pairs played against some females and had to learn to adapt there. And it is about balanced competition, but I suppose I know it's about making sure it's it is fair and making sure that you have you do do your pairings. I was never very good at seeding or anything like that, and making sure that you step in at the games where that were a bit unbalanced and maybe changing it up. A lot of schools suggested maybe if it was one-sided because we were a new school and we haven't been playing for years and years and years that we'd mix up the pairs. So we'd have, say, one pair from another school with one pair, a student from mine, and let's just play fives. And it that's really good for the game, but our students didn't like it because they want to play with their friends and they want, they want to you know prove themselves as a Hollyport student and when we go to fixtures you're representing the school and that kind of thing so I don't know how there is a place for it somewhere but I'm not sure where and then in terms of fixtures we've always had lovely fixtures and in terms of competitions and tournaments that are throughout the day we've always done quantity over quality so we've always taken as many students as possible and again in all the sports that Hollyport play they're very used to losing so it's not the end result or the or the W or the L as they like to say it's about you know just giving it a go and having a little bit of fun and I god I felt that coming into the game and having such an uneven playing field whether you match it or not being new to the sport as a school or as an individual you never feel like you're going to be on top at some levels so it's just making sure you take as many students as you want or you can and just making sure they enjoy the day and getting something out of it rather than winning or losing and it'll go in peaks and troughs I've definitely had elements of my fives that I've just lost all the time and yeah half the time I don't care but it gets to a point where I'm like oh for god's sake I'm losing but then it just takes one tournament where I've had a little bit of fun bit of one or two good shots where someone's going oh that's a good shot and then your confidence and your morale gets up again so there, there is a cause for just letting it play out you know if you lose for a year or so who cares because it the momentum will change and you get value from that. And I wouldn't want to play with it too much because otherwise you just end up playing with it so much that you you lose what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, um, I think all that you said there fits in really well with um, some of the points you made before about finding success in, in everything that you can. I think building confidence is, um, I mean, it's a surefire way to then build competence. And you, you can't rush that. You can't um, get someone to pick up a skill faster by just making them do it again and again and again if they aren't getting the core of it right and if they're not enjoying themselves. I mean, you can do a drill-based method 
if there's enjoyment and there's feelings of success. In, in my background, I remember playing water polo and shooting at a goal, I, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of times. But because I enjoyed it, I was so happy to do that drill over and over again. I did it by myself. No one in the goals would go again and again and again. And when you're enjoying yourself and you care, then you're happy to do that. And it becomes some form of play. And it can be the same thing. I, I know, speaking to quite a few players now, that they're very happy to go and serve hundreds of times to get it right. And when you're feeling that competency grow and that you're getting some kind of success out of that, then it's it's not a chore. It's a it's a game in itself. And then losing, yes, it, it can happen when you're less experienced. It can happen when you're playing, you know, as you say, like a new school coming in and playing um, with beginner players against schools that have been playing since they were players that have been playing since they were 11 or 12 years old. You know, you're probably not going to win, even if you can, you know, do one of the skills a lot better than they can. Then, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to have a well-rounded game. Something else that I picked up there, Howard, you were saying about how you you need to be creative in terms of how you matched your players in terms of their their abilities, and it's not always you know putting your best player with your worst player so to bring them up. It's about finding different dynamics that work. I think it's a really good point um, that you see in quite a lot of sports where where players, if they're really good and they're playing against players that aren't as good, they don't feel the need to develop other aspects of their game. And um, players that are forced to kind of not use their, their one, one trick kind of shot, their one 90 kilometers an hour shot, if they're put in a situation where that's not allowed or you've kind of told them to take that out of, out of play, then that's when they can really start to develop the rest of their game. So sometimes pulling out of the competitive environment and being in a social environment or a learning environment, taking a competitive person out of that you can really get them to develop their game in a different way. Yeah, the, what Zach's just said is, is reminding me of something else which um, I strongly believe in. This is moving on really from beginners, but uh, my real professional training is as an orchestral musician. So scales, scales, more scales, and you do your scales so slowly that you can't get them wrong and you build them up and you start again and you build them up. And that sort of discipline uh, combined with the tennis coaching I had as a young boy uh, is, is very much sort of my, my DNA as a coach, I suppose. So, you know, there are drills, individual drills, block shots, things where I, you know, I teach these scales. I refer to them as the scales. You build them up slowly, you build the confidence so you can't get them wrong. And then you end up doing them so fast that they're beyond your control. You start again. And, you know, that's not going to be so attractive to a beginner, but those that choose to come to these sort of more advanced sessions, of course, absolutely love it because you can see the progress. And I was trained not to practice something until I could do it. I was trained to practice something until I could not get it wrong. And they're very different things. And to be able to do that in any sport um, with any shot that you feel you should be able to do is of course the mark of uh, you know, the, the beginnings of a very good player. And with your scale, why are you doing scales? Scales is a language like any other. And you're basically training to be able to sight read any situation, literally. And um, 
you know, one thing I, I do a, a lot, particularly in rugby fives, where there's fewer set-piece shots that are sort of really um, thrilling to succeed at, hitting the hole or making the ball roll off the back buttresses or, or, or the main buttress. What I do a lot with, uh, if you like, performance players in rugby five is I, I actually make them sight read. Uh, what I do is I have my tin cans and I'll move them around the court. They don't have to be good shots, but, but it's all about the player being able to hit a target. And then in the actual position of a real match, keeping an eye on where their opponent is, the best target is often the biggest gap. So I may move a tin round every five seconds or so, and that I may have said, you've got to hit that, but you've got to hit it off the sidewall first. So they're constantly calculating how to get it there. And what I've found, again, especially with rugby fives, but it's true with Eastern fives as well, people tend to just hit the ball. They just hit what feels natural. And that's a very different thing to developing the, the, the time to have a preconceived idea and then to, 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 to hit that target or, you know, uh, perform accordingly. So certainly what I do with more experienced players is I'm trying to train them so they cannot get something wrong in terms of performing, uh, executing the shot, but I'm trying above all else to make them think because otherwise the weapons don't mean anything. You're hitting them at random and it might not be the best decision and making good decisions is in any sport key. So that's sort of the other end of the spectrum, but um, the scales, the ability to sight read a situation and the enjoyment of actually hitting targets uh, to sort of make pupils see the success has mm -hmm. uh, for me been uh, one of the most enjoyable things with teaching at the higher level. I think it's one of those things you forget get when you're playing you've played for so long and Faye this is one of the reasons why you're one of my favorite people to play at the mix because your enjoyment of the game is so infectious and you know taking it back to those basics and it makes you start thinking okay I need to start thinking more about process and the improvement that I've seen having reasonably regularly either seen you play at the Richard Black Cup or you know we, we quite often meet in the mix it's uh you know, like our yearly, yearly catch up is that you have improved significantly. And some of the things that Howard was saying about starting to think more about where you're placing the shots, looking for those gaps, you can see it coming in your play style. I remember the first mixed, it was all about hitting up the ball was the success, but actually now the improvement has just been exponential. It's, it's quite nice to see and it's really infectious, the enjoyment that you have of it. So that's why you're my favorite player. <laughs> No, it's been, for me, like being obviously a PE teacher, it's, you're constantly teaching a sport and it was so nice to actual, to learn a sport from scratch and to be that learner again. It completely changed my perception of the children learning hockey, which I've played for years and years. And I actually started to be a little bit nicer to my hockey students because I, <laughs> I understood what it was like to be a learner. So instead of going, why can't you hit the ball? I was like, ah, this is what it feels like when I can't serve or I couldn't cut. And it was so frustrating. I was like, why can't I cut the ball? And it took me, it really did help my teaching of hockey and netball because it made me a bit more empathetic to their learning styles. But in terms of in learning the game, I am 
I am very coachable and our students, our sporty students are very coachable. They're just sponges. And it's like what I've progressed in fives and I've learned how to play fives. At the same time, I've joined Windsor Hockey Club and I've gone from a good hockey player to a really, really, really good hockey player because you take what they can do and you go, right, you can now hit the ball. What about the angles? And it takes that coach and certain people like Gareth and Bish and people that I've had in my life to say, right, you can now cut the ball. You can now hit it. Fantastic. Where are you now hitting that to? Are you hitting it back to the buttress? Are you hitting it to the back? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then they go, right, well, we'll think about that. And it takes a few years to identify, well, that students at that point, they can now hit it. They need to then think about where they're hitting it or they can't hit it at all. How are you going to get them successful at that? And I suppose top, top level, you're going to hit it and you want it to go there. And then looking a step two or three in the future of the court, which, you know, some students might never get to, but on shot four or five, how are you then going to kill it? And as a coach, it's identifying where the students are at that point. So I think if you want students to get better quickly, like I've done in the mix and what students have done, it's it's getting that sporting confidence and that sporty brain to switch on and develop as well as the skills. Yeah, just just picking up on on that, I think something that really good athletes have in common is their ability to recognize patterns um, and then preempt those patterns. So see them almost before they they happen. And five is a fascinating one for that because there are it's just they're far more complex patterns that show up. It's not so two-dimensional. Um, like, for example, with, with rugby, you know, the ball's always going to be passed backwards. So you've already got, you know, one, one limit there. And, uh, you know, hockey, um, you can tell when someone's going to hit the ball along the ground and you can see when they're going to flick it into the air. So you can, you know, based on those, those two options, you can figure out what's going on. But in fives, your environment changes, you know, the, the hazards or the, the buttress have an influence, not just the people playing on, the, on a flat surface. And the, the ability of players to recognize patterns, I, I kind of, I've, as you see that adapt, so I've, I've seen some beginners play and then I've seen some, um, some of the top um, men and women play. And you can just see the anticipation of the shot you know, they, they start moving before the balls hit the wall to the right spot. And I'm still trying to find the ball. And in sport, like playing sport all my life is like, I'm a young girl, I can, I can run, I'm quite fit. And then I went on to court with some people who were in their late 70s or 80s and they were smashing me, absolutely killing me in fives. And I was like, how is this happening? Like, I should be quicker, I should be faster, I should be so much better than them and all they have me as they well they've played the sport for 50 60 years but they can recognize patterns so much quicker and they don't have to move and they just know exactly where they're going to play and like Howard said they're accurate and they'll beat you every time no matter how athletic or sporty you are or how you think fives is one of those games it's just patterns and recognizing that and it's and it's drawing that out of everyone who plays and if I knew that sooner, I might have been better quicker. There was a there was a comment from Seven Charlotta, and we were wondering about this as you from your 
both of your coaching experiences, which is have you ever had the case where you have a partnership in, in school and for whatever reason, they fall out for reasons not about fives and they don't want to play with each other, but maybe they're your top pair or, you know, they're a pair that can only play together. How do you deal with that if you've had situations like that? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I've come across it quite a lot. Uh, I, th- I think I've been lucky it hasn't happened more, uh, given, you know, how many people I've taught. Yes, it, it can often not even be that they've fallen out. You can often, in a large year group, have quite a, uh, a different pair of groups within that squad. And uh, I've, I've got a couple of these at the moment where you've got an outstanding player from, if you like, the sort of slightly geeky group. And then you've got an outstanding player from the sort of cooler, sporty group. And it's obvious that your best two players come from these two different groups who actually have absolutely nothing to do with each other outside fives. So this is slightly different to your question. Uh, I'll answer that as well if I can. But uh, I have more frequently situations where the best two players just are not friends, don't know each other. And you have to break down those barriers which are basically I want to play with my friends and again (laughs) uh, uh, the only way to do it in my experience is that uh, through practicing together through mixing them around in in matches uh, they quickly learn for themselves that uh, friends apart if they want to win they want to be with the best partner, and that usually wins the day. But it's something that you don't want to force verbally. You want them to discover it themselves. And that way they don't really ever feel that they're doing you a favour or their partner a favour. So that's how I tend to work it. Yeah, I've had a lot of successful partnerships where the two players really don't know each other off the five score, even though they're in the same year. So that's, that's one thing that I just mentioned because it comes up more frequently, actually. In terms of two players who are friends falling out is concerned, uh, I've not really seen that happen very much under my my own what. I've seen it happen disastrously um, with some pairs at other schools, and it was always you know, to, to do uh, you know with things that had nothing to do with being on the fives court together. It was two close friends, I gather, you know, falling out over horses or whatever, and that was the end of that. I think that if if I was in a situation where you've got two close friends who've played together for perhaps four or five years and uh, they fall apart as friends and it's then just not working on court, um, the chemistry on court is so important. Uh, I would probably uh, encourage them to split uh, as, as a partnership and to bring in um, fresh partners. And that's the most likely um, way that you're going to get the best out of the, the situation. Um, there's no room, at a, certainly at a high level, of any sulking or petulance or, you know, being holding a grudge against each other. So I'd probably just split them. And um, if they work out that their own partners aren't as good as being back together, they'll, again, they'll work it out for themselves. But I'd probably go along with it and uh, just split them. And it's up to them then to uh, work it out from there. So... Uh, the worst situation, though, is if you've only got one pair <laughs> and, uh, and they fall apart. And I know that tragically happened with the Top Ipswich pair of girls four or five years ago. 
Um, they, neither of them really had anyone to partner once they'd um, fallen out. So, you know, it's just one of those things um, if you're unlucky enough to be blighted with that. But how about you, Faye? Any fights? <laughs> no, no, we haven't had, we don't really experience that, I suppose. So I suppose only doing it for five years, they haven't had a chance to fall out just yet. Well, that's good. That's the main thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's better to not have experienced it than to, than to experience it. It's definitely rarer than just two top players evolving from different parts of the year group, same year group, in my experience. So that happens a lot, and it's very rare for people to fall out. Yeah, um, that, that's good to hear. I'm obviously, so you two have actually been the, you know, the most helpful in my research so far. I'm getting... Uh, getting your groups to respond to my questionnaires. So thank you, first of all. And also on kind of the research side, and what I'm interested in finding out is uh, at what point in your coaching and your, your teaching, can you kind of trust your players to officiate their own games fairly? Uh, well, from the beginning, um, actually. Um, I mean, uh, I, I do remember, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I remember this chunky little lad came up to me in his second fives lesson uh, in year year seven. And he said to me, sir, as, as the other boy's about to hit the ball, can I punch him or push him or basically ruin the shot for him? And you know, I, I explained that, uh, you know, in this sport more than any other, it was important you didn't do that. Um, that's just a, a, an opening on it. No, I, I, I expect them from the very beginning to fall on their own swords regularly for you to then point out that it doesn't matter if he says it's down and you say it's up. It's up. You're, you know, I, I try and basically convey that everyone is allowed to have their opinion. They need to speak their mind as to what they felt they saw. And if it doesn't all add up together, you simply play a let and that is it. And um, I remember uh, the great Brian Matthews um, telling me uh, when I'd <laughs> sort of pointed out that there were several rallies I'd seen in a match he'd played in where he was completely robbed. And he said, look, sometimes you just have to win an extra you know, point or two to win. Uh, and he, of course, was perfectly capable of doing that. So he was very relaxed about it. But it, that's the type of attitude I've tried to put across from the very beginning with any of my pupils. And, um, and that it has absolutely nothing to do with anyone other than the four people on the court. It has everything to do with all four of them, not one of them, not two of them, but all four together. And um, I think that's, that's something that you, you put in from the start. Yeah, I think, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant way to put it. Um, and, and Faye, in your experience with your, your players? Yeah, I suppose it's because it's never been there. We've never had external referees or umpires it's something that the students would just just pick up naturally and I suppose that they're quite looking like if I was playing a game I don't want someone external to play rules to dictate whether something was up or down they're quite lucky that they're in control of it and they can have that discussion and and make a decision so I think it's it's something that just goes hand in hand with the game I, I think it's there for a reason they learn how the fairness of it and I think it's I think it's will be there forever yeah so Faye and I are completely in tune with that uh, and I think everyone will be the what is really difficult though for your pupils is when they do play a match against another school and it's not level 
in that regard. And, it, and it's very tough because, you, you know, and you, you stand there watching and sometimes your children are just being completely robbed. Um, it can be the, the score constantly, you know, compound interest on your opponent's side and negative interest on yours. It can be the complete refusal from your opponents to uh, mediate or, or find middle ground. And I do remember, and this, um, I'm, I'm deliberately, you know, uh, taking this on on the sort of level that uh, I'm about to, so I'm not going to upset anyone at all. Um, but it, it is a fact that when I've taken, let's say, a, a coach full of 12-year-olds, or train full of 12-year-olds, uh, over to play, let's say, under-14s from, from Eton, it's been quite common for half my team to end up in tears at that age and they feel they've been robbed and they feel they've been cheated and all these things. And it's so good for them actually, because what I point out to them before and after is they're not being cheated at all. They're playing against a couple of lads invariably who've um, grown up rather more independent um, and self-sufficient and have had to form stronger views and opinions than, uh, you know, the typical, let's say, a Lavian or a Manuel boy um, who haven't gone off to boarding school and had to, to some degree, toughen up and develop their own views rather quickly. And I try and manage their expectation before and after the game and how they can minimise uh, what feels like a terrific... Um, imbalance on court so the simple things like calling the score um, every time the simple things like asking a question uh, not just being told uh, that's not a let um, just ask one simple question that at least makes your opponent think about it from your perspective um, so don't just say that was a let if you say you know would you mind if I have a let and they say no say, well, I only asked because I couldn't actually swing my arm back to prepare the shot. Now, if they're then turned down, they've at least started to make the opponents think that it's not as black and white as they feel that it is. And yes, they may be a little bit, bit robbed uh, by the end of it, but they can help their own chances if they're uh, given some guidance before the match. And in, invariably what happens is by the time they come away from that same match a year later as under-14s, it's absolutely fine because they've learned how to liaise, how to um, make things become a little bit more diplomatic. And I've, I've always said to all the parents of people that I teach fives to, um, and, and I cite myself as a, an example of this, having gone to St. Olav's, you know, I went to a school where you were expected to get good grades at everything and everyone does. But fives for me was 50% of my education because you learn an enormous amount of uh, you know, human skills that you cannot teach in the classroom. And they're not relevant with close friends that you see every day. So, you know, diplomacy and, and, and thinking ahead a little bit so that you are giving your opponent the opportunity to engage rather than being so blunt that you get a blunt response back. All those skills are finely honed on a fives court. And I think, um, without doubt that by the time people go into their you know UCAS interviews their interviews at university um, I think that all my fives players are really well prepared for that 
you know, they're walking in and see, playing, if they're playing adults weekly, who they've never met in fives, why would it be so daunting to walk through that door for a university interview? They're just, you know, they, they know other adults aren't going to bite. You can see where I'm coming from. Um, I, I think it's an education in itself. And this is largely because there is no umpire, there is no referee. They haven't done what you learn to do in so many other sports, which is to play the umpire or the referee to try and uh, coerce them into believing what you want them to believe. This is about developing um, honesty and the ability to engage your opponents. And that's a massive, massive skill. Yeah, I also think that Eaton Fives is a great thing to have on the uh, CV. It kind of gets you noticed a little bit. So I had engineering interview and the first thing before we'd even shaken hands or said hello, they said, let's see your hands. And so I put out my hands and then I put them with my uh, palms facing downwards. And then they said, no, other side. And so I <laughs> put them over. And, uh, and then the comment from the interviewer was, wow, I expected them to be more bruised or something. <laughs> and so it started this whole interview. And uh, the other comment that I've had is, you were the only person that I had to Google something about. So... You know, as well as the confidence piece, the communication piece, there's also the uh, unique aspects of it, which can help to get you noticed on a UCAS form. Yeah, I've, I've barely had a pupil go for a uh, university interview and not be asked about the fives. Um, hardly ever. And it's, it's, a, it's a good way in. It's, a, it's something to talk about that you're enthusiastic about, in inevitably. And that's one of the things that, of course, an interviewer is, is, is looking for. Uh, see you uh, enthusiastic and able to articulate. So I think it's done a lot of fives players a lot of good. Yeah, um, I, I think definitely. Just just listening to to that last bit, talking about character and the development of character. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to to choice and the fact that players are choosing how the game is run. They aren't just following what someone else is saying, especially not following an authority figure and recognizing that they are either the authority figure themselves or they are allowing someone of equal standing to take the role, that role and they are choosing to, to let that happen. Um, you know, and then that inevitably will lead to character being developed um, and you know, because you are choosing where, where you stand in, in, that, in that format. And also most fives players, they choose to play fives. I know, Faye, you're saying at Hollyport they... Um, you know, you have to play, which is great. I think everyone should play a sport and, um, and what better one to play. But post that, it's, it's a choice. And it's not something that your peers demand that you do that is popular and on TV uh, and your role models um, that you grow up seeing on, on TV or play. It, it's a choice. And I think that is one of the biggest contributing factors to why there are benefits because those people that the, the game resonates with have chosen out of their own volition, not because their peers, not because the media have said they should, but because they feel that they should and they've had a great experience, which is obviously thanks to the coaches and those that um, bring them into the game. So I just thought we'd end off by just saying, you know, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you for all the kind of the technical um, coaching tips and the uh, philosophical underpinnings of, why you do what you do. And um, personally, I just so appreciated getting such an in-depth understanding of all that goes into, you know, how you coach your players, how you coach yourselves, 
and the impact of uh, a combined 46 years of, of play between the two of you. Yeah, thank you yeah. very much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah.